Welcome to the First Baptist Barberville Weekly Sermon Podcast. At FBC Barberville, our mission is to gather, grow, give, and go. Join us for live worship on the Court Square in Barberville, Kentucky, or to learn more about our church, visit fbcbarberville.com. Here is Pastor Tyler Shields. family. Thank you for being here. If you're uh, visiting with us, thank you for joining us. If you're watching online, thank you so much for worshiping with us this morning. I got the opportunity to meet somebody new yesterday, and I was talking to this fella. We're kind of getting to know one another and uh, asking about what we did, what our families were like, and all of that, where we were from. And he said, so what do you guys do? And I said, well, my wife, she does anesthesia, so she puts people to sleep, you know. And uh, he's like, what about you? I said, well, I'm a Baptist preacher, and so I essentially do the same thing. (laughs) Hopefully this morning that's not what we'll do. Uh, But I want to encourage you and challenge you to answer, ask yourself that question and answer that question this morning. Who is your one? We've been going through the Great Commission for the past several weeks and seeing how that ties into our purpose as a church and what what it really means as followers of Christ. As we come in here as a church body in Knox County together to grow and then to go back out into the world. And last week we emphasized that go portion of the Great Commission and how we do need to take the gospel right here uh, across Knox County, but also to the ends of the earth. And today we're only going to build on that. But instead of focusing on the nations and focusing on that $7.68 billion that we've talked about over the past few weeks, we're going to be answering that question, who's your one? Who's the one person? that you can pray for, the one person that you can seek an opportunity to share the gospel with, and and that person that's in your life and in your small little circle of influence that potentially you could help lead into a relationship with Jesus Christ. In your email last night or this morning, you should have gotten, if I have your email, a daily prayer guide that will take you through every day for the next 30 days on how to pray for that one lost person in your life, your one. Now, if you didn't get one, go back and look. I think people still use email. If you didn't get one, I've got a paper in the back, and I encourage you, if you want to be part of this, give me your email, and you will get a daily prayer guide for your one and how to pray for them specifically. This morning, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 22. And while you're turning there, I want to ask a simple question. What comes to mind when you hear the word Christian? If I said apple, everybody, most, about half the room would think of a yellow apple, half would think of a red apple, right? But what about Christian? Maybe it's the church. Maybe it's a person. Somebody that carries a Bible. Somebody that's been baptized. Maybe someone who dresses a certain way or talks a certain way or behaves a certain way. For some people, that you say, well, what's a Christian? And it brings up negative ideas, right? It really depends on who you ask, even in the church. And Andy Stanley said this. He said, if you ask ten different people this question, you'll get at least nine different answers. And I know that we're all very proud to be Christians, and we should be, but, but here's something interesting. And we've talked a little bit about this before. The very first followers of Christ did not wear the label Christian. It was something that came along later as a derogatory term that was placed on them by others. That's what Acts eleven twenty six tells us. So what were they called? Well, they were called disciples. 
And, I, and I'm, think about it though. Just look in your Bible. How many times do you see the word Christian? Should be three times. The word disciple in the New Testament is used 281 times. Now look, I'm not saying we need to stop calling ourselves Christian. Please don't spread that rumor. We need to be proud of that title, especially in our culture. But, but I'm afraid that we've lost some of the truest sense of what it means to be a Christian when we forget what it meant for them to be a disciple. One author said, in changing the primary word that we use to describe ourselves, we lost the clarity that the word disciple conveyed about what a follower of Jesus actually is. And that's why when I say what comes to mind when you hear the word Christian, because we all have a different answer. Let's look at what it means not to just be a Christian, though, but to be a disciple, to be a true follower of Jesus. And this is where I want to start our discussion about who's your one, because I think in order to answer who's your one and to hopefully pray that person into a relationship with Christ and lead them in that direction, I think you've got to know what it means to be one yourself, right? Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 22 says this. It says, As he was walking along the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Follow me, he told them, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with Zebedee, their father, preparing their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Now this is a familiar story. We actually watched this scene on Wednesday night in the Chosen series. And for me, this is one of the best episodes that we've seen so far and a lot of us know this story but it still seems a little odd right that these men would just jump up and leave everything behind to follow this guy named Jesus so let me give you a little bit of a historical context about the calling that takes place in this passage and it really goes back to this Jewish culture and this Jewish method of discipleship and the Jewish educational system of the first century so as soon as a child could talk a young man especially he began to learn the Shema, this, this beautiful prayer rooted in the heart of the, God's law in the Old Testament. And they would memorize this. They would recite it daily, multiple times a day. And then at the age of five, all Jewish boys were then instructed in the Torah, in the first five books of the Bible. And the Hebrews, the Jewish people, they absolutely love God's Word. And in that regard, we can learn a lot from them. And so at, at the age of five, picture this, there was a ceremony for these five-year-old boys. And they would take a drop of honey, and they'd place this drop of honey on the tongue of this young man, many of whom were, were, were poor, and they never tasted anything that sweet and that wonderful. And as they're tasting this sweet honey for the very first time, someone in the crowd in that ceremony would begin to recite God's Word. Something, so they're getting this taste. Just imagine, they're tasting this honey, and all of a sudden they hear, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And the lesson was to show them God's word is as sweet, so much sweeter than this drop of honey. And so for the next five years, they would study and memorize large portions of scripture. And then they turn 10 years old, there's a calling, <laughs> there's a cut. And you either make the cut or you don't. And for those that made the cut, they got to go on to a higher level of education. Those that did not basically went back home to their mom and dad and they learned what dad did. If dad was a carpenter, they learned carpentry. If dad was a fisherman, they learned how to fish. 
And then those students, for the next few years, would learn uh, the rest of the Old Testament. They would study it in the hopes that they could make the next cut, which came at the age of 17. And it was every Jewish boy's dream to make the cut at the age of 17 and become a religious leader, a rabbi, or a teacher of the law. They didn't dream about becoming CEOs or NBA stars or professional YouTubers. Their dream was to be a religious leader, an instructor of God's word and God's law. And so at 17, if they wanted to continue, they had to find themselves a rabbi who they wanted to follow. And they would essentially apply to become this rabbi's um, student. And they would, to do so, they would literally go and they would sit at the feet of this rabbi as he was teaching. And he would begin to, to question them, to test them, to ask them things about uh, the Word, about the Torah, about God's law. And he would take only the very brightest and most promising young men. And they were very selective about this process. Because this was a highly cherished position. And so they wanted to find, the rabbis wanted to find someone who had the capacity not only to learn and know what they knew, but to become like them. And who would ultimately make more disciples like them. Someone who would follow them so closely. It was said that the dust of the rabbi's sandals would be kicked up on that student. So back to Matthew 4. You see what's going on in this passage, right? Jesus goes to these men who somewhere along the way didn't make the cut. And that's our first point this morning. Jesus doesn't choose the best. He chooses the willing. The fact that Peter and Andrew, James and John and even Zebedee were fishermen, Jewish fishermen at that, meant that somewhere along the way, probably very early in their lives, somebody realized this was not the A-team. And they learned how to fish. And according to the religious system in place, these guys certainly were not the cream of the crop. And so when Jesus, when God incarnate, Think about this. When he assembled the team, this group that would forever change the world, he skipped over the elite, he skipped over the cream of the crop, he passed over the very brightest, the very best, and he chose these rejects. Now, I'm not being harsh, I'm just being honest. That's what these guys were, according to their culture. And on one hand, it's hard to see why they'd still leave it all behind, right? Why they would leave their father, why they would leave their career. But on the other hand, you think... Of course they'd follow Jesus. If he is the Messiah, my goodness, it's an honor that he's choosing us out of all the people he could have chosen. But that's the kind of people that God chooses to work with. John MacArthur said in choosing his disciples, Jesus skipped over all the wise of the day. The great scholars were in Egypt. The great library was in Alexandria. The great philosophers were in Athens. The powerful were in Rome. He passed over the historians. He passed over Socrates, the great thinker. Julius Caesar, the great ruler. And he chose men to be his disciples. So ordinary, it was comical. Not a single rabbi. No teachers. No religious experts. Not even a synagogue ruler. Half of them were fishermen. And one was essentially an IRS agent. And one of them was a former terrorist. Jesus actively sought out and chose the less capable, the average, ordinary men through whom he could do extraordinary things. So what's this mean for us? Well, I think the biggest thing is it's a reminder. Again, that God doesn't call the equipped, but he equips the called. 
I've never been called to a task that I said, okay, God, that's a really good idea. I've got it. No, it's more like, God, I, I can't do this. I need you to help me. And that's the way God's work. And if God is calling you to something, it doesn't mean you have to have all the answers. You don't have to have it all figured out right now. The most likely people to be used by God are those who make themselves most available to him. You should drop something extra in the plate for that right there. That's a nugget. But if God can use a bunch of smelly, grungy, rough fishermen, tax collectors, think about what he can do in your life. But before we get too wrapped up in that, in the things that God's called us to do, let's remember our most important calling. That's simply to be with him. Our primary calling is to be with him. Notice verse 19. The only thing Jesus asked them to do is very simple. Follow me. Follow me, he says, I'll do the rest. I will make you fishers of men, but you, you simply follow me. And when Jesus calls these four disciples, he doesn't tell them where they're going. He doesn't tell them what exactly they're going to be doing. He says, come with me, follow me, be with me, get to know me and become more like me. Our primary calling is not to do something. Even though we get wrapped up in the things we're supposed to do in these big, grand, glorious callings on our lives when God says you got to do this and go big or go home but our primary calling most important calling is to become more like Jesus 2,000 years later how do we do that how do we follow Jesus so closely that the dust from his feet gets kicked up on us and covers us and people know we've been with Jesus well if you look the way the disciples did it I think we follow their example they spent time with him they listened to him. They learned from him. They cultivated a relationship with him. They literally heard the word of God from the mouth of Jesus. And today we have the fortunate opportunity to do the same thing. It's been said that when life cuts you deep, you should bleed God's word. And the truth is, you cannot know Jesus any more than you know his word. So we have to be in it. We have to spend time in His Word. We have to spend time in prayer, communicating with Him, getting into His Word until His Word gets into us and changes our very lives. That's our primary calling, but that's not all. Notice the rest of the verses. We see that to follow Him, and we'll see many lessons like this through the Gospels, we have to leave all. Matthew points out three things the disciples left behind. Two go together, the boats and the nets, but also their father Zebedee. You think about what they're leaving behind. They left behind the very thing that brought them security in life. The very way, their means of making a living. They left behind an identity as fishermen. Their, their career and who they'd become in order to follow Jesus. But they also left their father. Would have, would have been the most important relationship in their life. This man was the one who likely had taught them everything that they knew about life. How to be a fisherman. How to, He mentored them on what they needed to do and what they didn't need to do since they weren't going to be good enough to do anything else. He's the one. Zebedee is the one that gave them a chance when they had no other chance in their system of education. And they leave all that behind to follow Jesus. Now listen, I know it may not cost us this much to follow him. But we better at least be willing to leave it all behind. One thing, though, is for certain, and that's that following Jesus better change the way that we go about everything else in life. He may not ask you to leave your career. He may. 
He may not ask you to leave your family, but he may. But even if he doesn't call you away from those things, it better affect your daily life. Students, you may be the only one in your circle that's following Jesus. And when everyone around you pushes you to compromise your faith, hold tight to Jesus. If you're in business, you'll be tempted to cut corners. You'll be tempted to treat people the wrong way in order to stay ahead. But listen, don't do it. Be different. Be a Jesus follower. And that applies to everyone regardless of what your field is. Let people see Jesus through you. Be the one that's that godly example in the room if nobody else is willing to do it. Because everyone has the opportunity to let Jesus the light of Jesus shine through your life, just like the choir sang about. But that's certainly not the last thing we need to remember this morning. Notice what, again what Jesus said he will do. I love this. This is where the rubber meets the road. Jesus said, follow me, and I will do what? I will make you fishers of men. I love how Jesus very simply and naturally related to these men he was calling. He said, you've been fishing for fish. If the chosen's biblical, they, they were terrible at it. He says, I'm going to make you fish for people. Jesus commands us. It's not a recommendation. He commands us to spiritually reproduce. And we as disciples, we are called to become disciple makers. In John chapter 15, this is how Jesus says we will prove to be his disciples by bearing much fruit, by replicating being a follower of Christ in the life of someone else. Now listen, here's how real this is. We all, we've been looking at the Great Commission, right? We all believe the Great Commission. We, we know we got to do it, right? Many would suggest that if you're not spiritually reproducing, that there's good reason to question whether or not you are a disciple. Now, I'm not saying you're not a Christian. I'm not questioning your salvation. Although some would. The late, great Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, have you no wish for others to be saved? Then you're not saved yourself. Be sure of that. In his book, The Master Plan of Evangelism, Robert Coleman said, When will the church learn this lesson? That preaching to the masses, although necessary, will never suffice in the work of preparing leaders for evangelism. Nor can occasional prayer meetings and training classes for Christian workers do this job. Individual women and men are God's method. God's plan for discipleship is not something but someone. Now, who's the someone? It's us. If you're a follower of Christ, you are God's method for reaching the nations. You're that someone. And every person in here this morning has someone in your life that desperately needs a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Right now, I want you to open up your bulletin. We're going to get real about this this morning. And I want you to pull out this little slip of paper. It simply says, my one is blank. And right now, I want you to begin to think about and pray about. Some of you already know. You already know who your one is. You've been praying for them. Who's your want for the next 30 days? We look across our county, we look across the world, and we realize the lostness is so much greater than we have the capacity and the capability to do anything about. But you know what? 
Maybe we can reach one. Maybe I can reach one and you can reach one. So right now, I want you to take just a moment, pray about this, and write the name of your one on this little slip of paper. It's a commitment. My prayer is over the next 30 days as we pray for these people, we invite God to do the work that only God can do in their life, drawing him, them to himself. My prayer is that we will see many ones come into relationship with Jesus. I love my job most days. I love getting up here and preaching God's word and meeting with you and talking with you and visiting people and going out and doing things in the community. I love what I do. But I learned a long time ago that it's not my job to save the world as a professional minister. It's our job. And if we're going to reach anybody, if we're going to reach the masses, if we're going to reach that one person in your life, we've got a team together. And we've all got to be part of this work. And we've all got to invite the Lord to do His part. I'll share some stories about that later on. Remember, you... Not just me. You are God's chosen method to reach this world and to do the work of ministry, to raise up more disciples. And as we begin this journey this month, focusing on that one, let's be real about it. Let's pray for them. Sign up for the prayer guide so you're reminded to pray daily. Pray for God to use you, to give you the opportunities. And when you get them, to, to seize those opportunities and to have the words to speak. But more importantly, pray that God would send the Holy Spirit to convict and to draw men to himself. Join me in prayer just a moment as we close. Father, right now as pens are going to paper, Lord, all across this room, names of lost people are being written down. It's a very sobering moment, Lord, as we admit and acknowledge there are so many in our lives, people that we love, people that we care about, people in our families, our friends, husbands, wives, children, parents, do not know Jesus. Lord, it's my prayer that First Baptist Church would take this very seriously. Because it's not just about filling a church, Lord. It's not about just putting names on a poster and saying we baptize this many people. No. Lord, it's a matter of heaven and hell. It's literally a life and death situation. Father, as we commit to praying for the one in our lives, Lord, we invite you to do the work that we cannot. Lord, maybe there's many sitting here this morning, they wrote down a name, and it's someone that they've, they've tried for years, but with no success. Maybe they've been praying, God, for 
for decades for this one person. God, over the next 30 days, I'm praying for a breakthrough in these situations. Lord, it's my prayer that we could see the very ones that we didn't think could be saved fall in love with Jesus. Lord, in addition to that, I pray that you change us. That you take us from Christian in name only to a full, sold-out follower, a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, may we become more like you in everything that we do. Lord, we ask this in his name. Amen. Stand with us this morning. We're going to sing a song of invitation. I'm going to ask you to do a couple things. I'm going to ask you to do something bold, and it's not its not a magic trick. There's nothing like that. But I'm, ask, I'm asking you to do this as a pledge of commitment over the next 30 days. If you're willing and able to take that name, and we've got baskets up here, and I'm literally asking you to lay this person down at the altar. And then as a church, we can come together and pray specifically for these individuals. In addition to that, I'm asking you to take a moment and just pray for that one this morning. If you're here this morning and you realize, you know what? This all sounds great. I think think this is a good thing, but I'm not a disciple myself. I'm not even a Christian. I'll invite you to come and be saved this morning. Get on the, the A team today and be part of what Christ is doing and watch what he can do in your life as well. Won't you come this morning, church, as we sing a song of invitation? Thanks for listening to the Weekly Sermon Podcast. Please subscribe, but also join us live in person on the Court Square in Barberville or find us on YouTube by searching FBC Barberville, on Instagram at first underscore Baptist underscore Barberville, on Twitter at Barberville FBC, or on our Facebook page, First Baptist Barberville.